Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. I've been looking forward to this particular edition for some time because we're reunited with a friend of longstanding, Virginia Fox, Congresswoman Virginia Fox, who represents the 5th District of North Carolina and has now for, uh, she's completed nine nine terms and now starting the 10th term. Uh, And uh, so, uh, Congresswoman, it's always a delight to be reunited. It's been too long since we've had you on the program. And uh, I might mention that, by the way, she is uh, uh, joining us by Zoom from her office in Boone. And uh, so if we have a slight disconnect here or there, it's because of the the Zoom connection. So, uh, So Congress is back to work. It's a little different now because the Republicans have taken uh, control of the House. And so that means that all the committee assignments have been readjusted. And as we've said on numerous occasions, when we have the benefit of uh, people from Congress on the program, we've learned that uh, most of the work is or should be done in committee. So tell us a little bit about what you'll be you'll be working on and and how this whole process works. Well, I'm chair of the Education and Workforce Committee, and our top goals um, on the education side, particularly as it relates to elementary and secondary education, is to protect parental rights and expand educational freedom. Uh, I believe that it's too long uh, that the teachers unions and the education bureaucracy has had control of our education process. We want them to step aside now and put parents in the driver's seat. Um, You know, Don, the best thing that's come out of COVID is the fact that what was happening in education has been exposed to parents and to the public. And what the parents found out, they didn't particularly like was happening with their with their children and their children's education. So we will be um, working in that area, expanding parental rights and also expanding education freedom. Now, on the workforce side, um, we will be working to ensure workers and job creators have access to the American dream without Washington bureaucrats putting up roadblocks. So we'll be doing oversight, oversight, oversight. Uh, We will be uh, holding the Biden administration accountable for the abuse and authority over the past two years, and particularly in the area, in, in the side of workforce. So that's where we will be looking. And uh, it's, it's time we had, um, we had, uh, Nancy Pelosi is speaker for two years with President Biden in office. And so the Democrats had pretty much full reign on things. You have a unique background in education. We talked about this before the program started. This gives you a lot of uh, knowledge and, and wisdom to back uh, up your positions and thoughts. Tell us uh, exactly about all that experience that you've had during your career in the area of education. Well, I do have knowledge and I hope it turns into wisdom. <laughs> I always want, I always want when I'm talking to be speaking from a point of wisdom. Um, my background is very strong in education. In fact, I'm unique in the Congress on both sides of the aisle. 
I served on a school board in Watauga County for 12 years, elected three times. I was at Appalachian State University as an administrator and a faculty member, and I loved teaching. That's what my goal had been early in my career was to be first a high school teacher, then a college teacher. Then I became a community college president. Then I was in the legislature and served on the education committee. And now in Congress, I have a chance to put all of that experience and knowledge, as you said, to work uh, in education. But also my husband and I ran a nursery and a landscaping business and a construction business. And so I feel very well qualified on both sides of the committee, as well as in other areas. And I'm not a one-dimensional person, by the way. I've introduced bills and passed them in lots of different areas. So I, I'm interested in lots of different things, but my experience, my expertise is in, particularly in education. Well, you spent uh, 10 years in the North Carolina Senate, and that's one of the main functions of the North Carolina Senate is uh, overseeing and providing uh, funding for education. So I'm sure that also helped a lot in building a background of knowledge. Oh, it definitely did. It definitely did. Well, um, so uh, with all this background, uh, do you have you set forth an agenda of things that you'd like to accomplish during the next uh, two years? We you've have, mentioned some of it. You've already mentioned some of it. I, I recognize that. But what else? Well, we are going to work very hard to protect parental rights and expand education freedom. I actually don't think we can say that often enough. Uh, one of our top priorities will be advancing the Parents' Bill of Rights. Uh, we want to protect parents' rights to have a say-so in their children's education. This mainly will be in transparency. We want curriculum transparency. The, what happened with COVID is that parents found out what was being taught in the classroom, and many of them did not care for that. So we want the parents to know what's happening in the classroom. We want them to know where the money's coming from, where the money's being spent. Um, we don't want to see politics in the classroom. We want the, the teachers and the administrators to be focused on helping the students learn the skills they need to be able to be successful in life. So that's the same old thing we've talked about, Don, you and I, reading, writing, not so much arithmetic, but computing, but also definitely you want to know some arithmetic before you do computing, but um, communication skills, all the things that we expect education to do. Now, the state is also uh, has on its agenda a perennial, perennial Bill of Rights issue. How will this uh, work together? Well, I've not seen, I, I think there are many states that are passing parents' bill of right, bills of rights. I have not, frankly, read most of those, but I think they're pretty much modeled on our bill because we introduced our bill in the last session of Congress. We knew it would not go anywhere uh, with the Democrats in the majority, but we introduced it anyway. And I think um, many of the bills at the state level are are modeled on our bill. 
Will this be a partisan issue or will you have some uh, Democratic uh, support for these these issues? Well, I hope it won't be a partisan issue. Uh, Education, uh, the Democrats, I think, have always thought that was their issue, but Republicans have felt it is their issue. In fact, Speaker McCarthy has said that the three things he's most concerned about right now are the debt, the education structure, and China. And so we've never had a speaker who's elevated education to that level, but I believe that this is a totally bipartisan issue. Every person in Congress, every person in this country should want parents to know what it is their students are learning and what's being presented to them to learn. They ought to want to know where money is being spent. They ought to want to know that their children are safe. They ought to want to know all of those things. So it shouldn't be a partisan issue. I I hope there'll be a lot of Democrats vote for this bill. That'll get such a strong vote in the House that when the Senate gets it, they'll take it up. Is this a K through 12 issue or is it expand beyond that? Well, it's we are making it primarily a K-12 issue, but I think it absolutely does expand into post-secondary education. And I think there's every reason in the world for parents to ask to see the syllabi of courses in colleges and universities. Um, I think a lot have not done that in the past, and they may be doing it now. I don't know how much you followed this, but enrollment is down in all public schools uh, right now, uh, both at the K-12 level as well as in post-secondary. I don't have those numbers in front of me right now, but they're significant numbers. Well, that also creates some uh, uh, a different set of problems for the school system when enrollment gets down. Uh, so uh, do you think this is uh, representative of the fact that uh, parents are dissatisfied and looking elsewhere? I, I'm assuming that's basically what your premise is. I do. I think parents are very dissatisfied with what they're seeing happen in um, the traditional public schools. And I say traditional public schools because most charter schools are public schools also. And generally parents opt with their feet to go to charter schools. And so if they're in the charter schools with their children, they mostly are choosing those uh, themselves. And so I think uh, that's a reflection of their wanting to be out of traditional public school and go to something that they think is better for their children. Basically, are you in favor of the charter schools? Oh, yes. I voted for charter schools when I was in the legislature. Uh, The first bill for charter schools uh, was passed when I was in the legislature under Jim Hunt, I guess. no, uh, I'm trying to remember what year that was. Ninety-four, yes, under Jim Hunt. I came in. I, I came in ninety-five into the legislature, and so charter schools. But I knew then that the unions or the NCAE had pretty much control over it because they put a cap on charter schools. There could only be a hundred, and that cap didn't get lifted until under President Obama when uh, they passed race to the top. And that was the only good thing that came out of that bill, in my opinion. 
So now we have many, many more. But I'm very much in favor of education freedom. Um, I have a charter school that started in my district last year in Caldwell County, started by parents. The small school closed in the community and the parents and the people in the community wanted to keep the school going. School board wouldn't do it. So they opened a charter school. Amazing group of people. I should have done this when we began the program, but for those who, of you who are not in the 5th District, uh, Congresswoman, would you tell us the counties that are represented by the 5th District in North Carolina? I know some of them are partial counties, right. but I'll what go are the counties you represent? Okay, I'll go by geography. Mitchell, Avery, Watauga, Caldwell, Davie, Wilkes, Yadkin, Forsyth, Surrey, Stokes. I'm missing one. I'm missing one. I've got well, 11. <laughs> That's 11. That, I'll, I'll think of it before the next segment, okay? <laughs> well, in the next segment, I probably want to talk a little bit about how you got around the district because that's a large geographic district. It Some is. of the districts in North Carolina, of course, are down to even just uh, one or two counties or, or partial. Uh, right. So it... That creates a set of problems, I guess, that's unique. Our guest is Congresswoman Virginia Fox, and we will be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers, and we'll do that right after these messages. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Climb puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Congresswoman Virginia Fox, who represents the, uh, the northwest portion of North Carolina, in and around uh, the uh, Boone, from where you still live in Boone, don't you? Actually, Don, I live uh, about 11 miles out of Boone. I've never lived in Boone. I live out in what's known as Upper Fosco. Uh, it's the uh, there's a little community out there called Fosco, and uh, that's where I live, uh, right in front of Grandfather Mountain. It's well, a that's a beautiful, beautiful section, a beautiful section of the state, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you've enjoyed living there. I love some of the names of the roads up there. I was riding somewhere and I saw Upper Pig Pen Road, and then 
guess what? There was a lower pig pen road, and I was <laughs> very impressed with that. Well, uh, we want to talk about uh, two words that we're hearing a lot about. So far, There, uh, one word has uh, taken off, and the other word hasn't so far. Uh, inflation is one, and recession is the other. So tell us, sort of, where you uh, feel we are on the inflation issue, and then we'll talk about the uh, what we may or may not have as far as a recession. Well, let me first mention I left off Ash and Allegheny because I was trying to do it geographically, but my district goes goes along the Virginia border, and that's what I should have stayed with. But I went south to pick up Davy and Caldwell, and I got sidetracked. So Ash and Allegheny are also in my district. I have 12 counties. Um, but, you know, we're, we have the highest inflation that we have had since 1981 in the country right now. Um, it has just been terrible. When uh, President Biden took office, inflation was 1.4%. It got up to 8%. It's still over 6%, which is the highest it's been since 1981. Well, that's uh, it, fortunately, it's getting a tad better, but that is still extraordinarily high, as you said, and not something that uh, we can live with for long. So what are some of the actions that you think this session of Congress might do to help bring that in line? Well, um, what Congress, um, the Democrat Congress caused this problem along with President Biden by the $5 trillion that they spent in a little over a year. And that's what has caused the inflation, that and the cutting off of the Keystone Pipeline, the shutting down of opportunities for uh, petroleum and gas in the country. So what we will do our best to do, although the House has a majority of Republicans, but the Senate is still a majority Democrat by one. So whatever we do in the House has to pass the Senate and has to be signed by the president. So we will do everything that we can, but you bring down inflation by cutting federal spending, and that will be the biggest issue. We will be passing our uh, appropriations bills this year. We'll pass 12 appropriations bills, not do an omnibus. That's one of the promises that we made. I believe we will keep that promise. So that's what we will be doing. Um, we see the uh, inflation and spending as a real threat to our economy. And we want to stop that from happening. So uh, we will do everything that we can. Now, what I want to point out to people listening and what we continue to point out to people is two thirds of the spending that gets done every year in this, in this country is on automatic pilot, and that's Medicare, Medicaid, and the interest on the debt. So those are things that are very, very difficult to do anything about because people who are eligible for those programs get those problems. So if you've paid into Medicare, if you've paid into Social Security, if you, if you are poor, you will get Medicaid and obviously won't want to pay the interest on the debt. 
So those things are all on automatic pilot. So it's very hard to cut spending to the level where you can have an impact on those programs. It Because only 30% is within our purview and half of that money is for defense. And national defense is the number one issue for the federal government. That is our job. That's why we were formed as a country. Uh, well, you mentioned earlier that the speaker has said that the, night, the debt is uh, one of his major concerns. And of course, anytime the, you are spending money that doesn't isn't covered by income, it, it's added to the national debt. Uh, where is the debt right now? And, and uh, how much more can we stand? Well, I don't know, Don, but I don't think we can stand any more, again, because the interest on the debt is huge. We heard this unbelievable figure the other day about how much the interest on the debt would cost in about 10 years. It was in the trillions of dollars, like $25 trillion is just what we would be paying on interest for the debt. So it is an outrageous figure to think about, but we we cannot continue to raise the debt ceiling. We have to do something about spending. Well, of course, as you said, uh, in fighting inflation, uh, part of the problem is that uh, that does affect the interest rate and makes it higher. And the biggest barrier, I guess, is the federal government. That's correct. And, you know, uh, one little factoid that your listeners, I think, would be interested in. When you look at the effect of inflation over the past two years, the average American household has lost over $10,000. So that's another way to look at it. Hourly wages have decreased 1.7% in the last two years, while again, uh, inflation keeps going up and that's costing taxpayers uh, $10,000 a year, average household. Congressman, does it bother you that the American public doesn't seem to be as concerned about these issues as they maybe once were? Uh, the sources of information they get sometimes don't spend enough time talking about these issues. And of course, oh, the worst part is that uh, those who are conservative are listening to conservative uh, sources and those who are liberal are listening to liberal sources. And so where, where, do you, where, where does the general public just kind of wants to know what really is going on where do they go for information? Well, they always can go to our websites for good information, I think. But it's not necessarily true that um, people just go to where they want to hear it. I, I will say that is that is the general feeling that if you're liberal, you watch CNN. If you're conservative, you watch Fox News or you listen to certain radio stations and certain talks that talk talk people on the radio. Uh, but I'm hoping more and more people are being educated about this. They're certainly hearing a lot. I was encouraged several years ago. You know, when I got into Congress, we were talking about this. We were talking about the drivers of the debt. The drivers of spending were uh, Medicare and. Uh, Social Security and Medicaid. And we saw then an uptick 
in young people beginning to save for their retirement. And so obviously they have listened to it because they said, well, I can't count on Social Security being there when I retire. So I'm going to start saving for myself. So I do think a lot of people are listening. I heard recently that consumer spending is down uh, because people are concerned about inflation and what might be coming ahead in terms of some kind of a recession. So I, I do think people pay attention maybe not quite enough, or maybe people don't have a long enough time horizon to be thinking about these things. You brought up recession. Of course, most of the sources that we've talked to in North Carolina, especially, feel like that if we have a recession, it's going to be extremely mild in North Carolina, maybe uh, not maybe not even existent in some areas of the state. Uh, but your district is probably a little bit uh, more um, uh, an area where the recession might have some effect? Well, my district's sort of a mixed bag. Um, there are some counties where I think it could have an impact, but, you know, around the Winston-Salem area, Davie County, those places, I don't think so. And some of my counties won't be hurt very much, Allegheny and Ash, I think, because those people are pretty self-sufficient there. And there are a lot of older couples who aren't much taking part in the economy. But I give a lot of credit to the legislature for the fact that North Carolina would be very much insulated from this. We're now the number one state for businesses to come here. And practically every day you hear about new jobs being produced in the state. And then uh, they've lowered the tax rate tremendously, particularly for low income people. Now, I just think that we are in um, in great shape in North Carolina, and I, I give the legislature a lot of credit, and also for the people in the state for paying attention and, for the most part, being frugal. Now, we've had a lot of people move into the state since COVID hit, a lot of people. And I don't know, Don, if you've done a program with people to talk about um, uh, properties sales and and all that. Uh, I know you talked uh, to Dale Falwell a good bit because I hear you with Dale, but it's um, it's unbelievable how many people have moved in. If the census, I think, had been delayed just a little bit, I think we might have picked up another member of Congress because we were adding so many people. Well, it is a great place to live. And of course, it is right now a choice of industry. And we've announced a number of very large new industries, especially in the Triangle and Triad area. Uh, all of that will spill off into the areas surrounding. And, and so that uh, not only uh, helps with the jobs, but it, it means higher paying jobs, which means good, right. more revenue for the state because the more you make, even though the tax rate may go down, the, the state will have the benefit of more taxes. Correct. And so that, that's, uh, that's the way it's supposed to work, I guess. That's exactly right. So um, speaking of tax bills, do you what do you foresee as far as any tax legislation in this session of Congress? Well, I think if there's any tax legislation, it would be to cut taxes because as a result of the uh, Tax Cut and Jobs Act that was passed under President uh, Trump, last year, Don, we had the highest revenue ever in the country, 
over $4 trillion. And, and CBO and other organizations directly attribute that sharp jump in revenue to the tax cuts, um, the tax cuts and jobs bill, because when you it's it's counterintuitive, but when you count cut taxes, revenue goes up. And that's what happened. So I don't see Congress passing anything that would raise taxes. Well, I'm sure uh, a lot of people, especially <laughs> with the threat of uh, some uh, uh, inflation digging into their spendable income, I'm sure people will appreciate that and hope that that comes to bear. Our guest is Congresswoman Virginia Fox, who represents the North Carolina 5th District in Congress, as she has now for nine terms. And we'll be back with another segment right after we take time out for these messages. You wanted to see me? Yes, please have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> we want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. The galaxy is safe once again. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our very special guest, Congresswoman Virginia Fox, who's been with us through the years a number of times, serving now in her 10th term, representing the 12 counties along the northwestern corner of North Carolina. Uh, and uh, now under the new uh, arraignment in, in Congress or new lineup in Congress, she is now the chair of the Education and Workforce <laughs> Committee. And we talked about K through 12 a few minutes ago, but she just reminded me that we haven't talked about higher ed. Uh, so why don't we do that? <laughs> okay. You're well, on. the biggest issue right now in higher ed, I, I think this will somewhat go away, perhaps later in the year, is the student loan issue and what the Biden administration has been doing there. Uh, the president campaigned on the fact that he was going to, quote, forgive student loans. Um, you know, Don, you can't forgive a sin not committed against you, and you can't forgive a loan that you don't have. So the Biden administration doesn't hold the loans of the people who borrowed money. The American taxpayer holds those loans. And so if the president believes that he can forgive something he doesn't have, 
it's wrong. Uh, the American taxpayer has not said to people who borrowed this money, we want to not have you pay that money back. And then when we just absorb that cost ourselves. So what they've done is uh, we've, we've now gone into court over this. There is a suit before the Supreme Court. Uh, I signed on to an amicus brief on this last week. And it will be there will be several amicus briefs going for the toward the court on this issue. So we believe that what the president had done and the administration has done is totally illegal, and it has been actually catastrophic in terms of what the future is going to be. Um, what they've done is try to do retroactive free college. This was something else the president campaigned on. His wife has taught in a community college for many years, and they were promising free community college and, and maybe even free college altogether. And that's what they're trying to do, we think, with this loan forgiveness scheme. But uh, it's not right for the country, and it's wrong. In fact, I think his actions are disgraceful. So what happened was, early in the pandemic, under the Trump administration, they they told students they could delay pay, making their payments on their loans. But even after President Trump was out of office, President Biden has continued this, even though the economy has come back, our unemployment rate is low, there are 11 million jobs out there. There's absolutely no reason to continue the abatement of people paying back their loans. It's having a very bad effect on the economy, a very bad effect on these people. In fact, I think it's a moral hazard that he's doing that. One of the things they're also doing is they're expanding programs that were designed for special categories of people, like teachers, policemen, nurses, who were going into special service jobs, who would get a break on their loans if they were going into those jobs. They would have a, a slotted time period to pay them back because they were expected to be in low-income jobs. But the president has expanded that program to allow people who are um, lawyers, doctors, Wall Street Journal, I mean, Wall Street people who um, have hundreds of thousand dollars worth of loans to be able to wiggle out of those. We, it's been estimated that if this happens, we could have a trillion dollars of costs transferred to the American taxpayers and not have these people pay back what they took on as obligations. You know, Randy Weingarten has been called the most dangerous person in the world by uh, former Defense Secretary, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And uh, she had announced that there was a teacher out in California who was getting a $450,000 loan forgiven under this scheme of the president. Well, I would question why anybody going into the teaching profession would even get, get a debt of $450,000. It makes no sense. 
I never really understood how this affected people who have been paying on their student loan. Were they going to be retroactively uh, reimbursed? You know, Don, that's never been made clear. Uh, there have been people who were paying on their loans, and uh, it, that was very, very unclear as to whether those people would get some rebate. But think, Don, oh, 70% of the people in this country have never gone to college. 87% of the people in this country right now owe no debt on their loans or never went to college. And so the 87% of us who didn't have a debt or paid our way through or whatever would be asked to pay the debt of 13% of the people. And about 30% of those people make over $100,000 a year. So this is not paying off the debt of poor students who were struggling to pay off their debt. This would be paying off the debt of a lot of very, very wealthy people. And it's just wrong in every aspect of it. Right now, of course, it's held in abeyance because the Supreme Court has the case under consideration. And so nothing is happening uh, either way. We won't, ex won't expect the ruling from the Supreme Court until late June or early July. But I certainly hope that the court is going to see that the excuse that the Biden administration is using for doing this is not an appropriate way for this to be done. If the court upholds the plan, what does this do to our national debt? It just adds to the national mm -hmm. debt. It could add, mm -hmm. as I said, a trillion dollars. Well, it, it's certainly a controversial issue. And of course, anyone who has a debt, I mean, you know, gee, somebody told me I didn't have to pay my debt off. I'd be in favor of it. But uh, that doesn't make it necessarily right or good policy. Well, you're correct. What about, again, uh, the hardworking people out there who have a car debt, for example? Should, should the people who don't have a car debt go out there and pay that debt off? Or what about your home mortgage? Should you have somebody pay your mortgage off for you? That is not the way this country operates. We are not, we believe that people who take on an obligation should fulfill that obligation. And that's what they did in terms of taking on this debt. Now we have a bill that we've introduced called the Real Reforms Act, which would, we believe, solve a lot of this problem by making sure that people understand what their debt is. Uh, we would cap graduate student loans at $125,000, which is the average student loan. So it wouldn't be stopping anybody from going on to graduate school. And we would make sure that people don't get in a hole on their debt and wind up paying more than they took out. There are many people who, because they don't know how to do what they were supposed to do, have, have gotten into a hole and have been paying back more than what they owed because they got behind or they were paying only the interest and not the principal. So we think we've come up with a good solution to it. It's called the Real Reforms Act. And we think we could solve this problem going forward. 
The other thing, Don, that it does is it makes people wonder if in the future their debt will be paid off. What about the people who took out debts this year? Are you think any of them are going to be given an incentive to pay back that debt? They're just going to wait 10 years or so and say, heck, somebody will pay my debt off for me. And the worst thing that it does is it fails to address the issue of the high cost of college going. Our college costs, the cost for tuition and fees, had gone up higher, higher than inflation and the cost of health care. And where is all that money going? It's not going into instructor salaries. It's not going into hiring more instructors. It's going into high pay for administrators. So this is another issue, again, that should be dealt with. And that is how do we bring down the cost of going to college? And that's another issue that we will be dealing with in a bill we expect to bring forward later this year which would be on reforming post-secondary education. Post-secondary education, like uh, elementary and secondary education, is being held in very low esteem right now. And we think the time is right to bring forth some reforms to help parents and students as they do their best to take more courses and do more to create their careers. Any other issues for higher education that you will be looking at? Well, um, there is a tremendous teacher shortage in this country right now. I'm not sure we can deal with that issue ourselves, except to maybe be a bully pulpit. North Carolina is actually doing a lot of good things in that area also, uh, where they're helping students in high school get AA degrees and go straight into a teacher prep program at a baccalaureate program. Uh, so I'm very proud of, of what North Carolina is doing with its community colleges. So there'll be other issues, again, we'll be talking about. I'll spread the word about early college. If parents want to reduce the cost of going to college, again, North Carolina is doing wonderful things in that area. We have early college. We have the Huskins Act. Uh, which was passed in 1974, where every high school, well, any high, any student, 16 or over, you can be homeschooled or in high school and take courses at the community college for free and let your first two years of college be free, basically, except for textbooks, which could be a, an issue for some students. But there are lots of ways we can reduce the cost of colleges, and we'll be spreading the word through the committee about that. Well, decrease in college cost would decrease student loans. Correct. Absolutely correct. But again, if the president is allowed to simply uh, transfer the, the obligation for the loan to the taxpayers, then there's no incentive in reducing the cost of going to college. Exactly. Well, Lots of issues, that, and uh, as we said earlier, uh, you are now the chair of that committee, and uh, that's going to be uh, right down your alley because, as we stated earlier in the program, your extensive background in education and uh, your 
particular interest in that uh, that field. Um, uh, also, Don, having grown up poor and working my way through college, that my husband and I, high school and college, I have a sense of what can be done, and I I think that's important too. Well, that's that's one of the very interesting things about college education. So many kids uh, take on jobs and. Uh, uh, you know, pay their bills and so forth. And I'm not sure how they come out uh, on this student loan forgiveness because they probably take four or five years to graduate. But in the meantime, they're paying their bills. Correct. Correct. Our guest is Congresswoman Virginia Fox. We want to talk a little bit about the uh, overdue reform of the Workman, uh, Workforce Investment Act. And we will probably talk about NIL, a college issue, when we come back with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. You stay tuned. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Congresswoman Virginia Fox, represents North Carolina's 5th District, as she has for nine terms, and now is in her 10th term. This is a district that includes uh, an area from Winston-Salem through Boone to the Virginia and uh, Tennessee borders. Uh, and uh, as we said earlier, uh, the Congresswoman and I go back a long way with our friendship. We've worked on some committees together through the years, and uh, uh, it's been interesting to watch her career. She spent 10 years in the North Carolina Senate, as well as uh, this service to uh, in Congress. Well, we want to talk about, uh, in, in 2014, the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act uh, provided a long overdue reform of the Workforce Investment Act was signed into law. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I was very proud in 2014 to be able to pass the reauthorization of uh, the bill. It had, before I was involved, it was called Workforce Investment Act. The bill we passed out of the House was called the Skills Act. It was, we were focusing on helping people through federal programs, federal taxpayer programs, get skills in these workforce programs. 
Well, the bill went over to the Senate, sat there for over a year, and finally the Senate woke up and decided that going to do something. President Obama, throughout his entire career, had talked about the need to reform our workforce uh, programs in the federal government. So he was interested in it. Some senators were interested in it. So we were able to get it passed in 2015, and President Obama signed it. So it was a big coup for us to get that done, focusing again on helping people get skill development, both uh, younger people coming out of high school as well as older people who need skill development because jobs are changing so much. Now the bill is way past due for being reauthorized, and we will be working on that again. We're hoping, again, for bipartisan support on that legislation, and we will be working on it. It probably will maybe come forward before our higher ed bill comes forward, but again, we hope for bipartisan support on this, and it really is to help people. It's a small amount of money in some ways, a small number of people who participate in it, but it is the federal government's attempt to help people get the skills they need to be continue to work in the workforce. Well, one of the interesting things that we see is everywhere you go in North Carolina, you see signs help wanted. And that's not typically uh, something that you see during periods where we are threatened with the, with the recession word. Uh, right. What else can be done to help uh, businesses fill all these openings? Well, um, number one, we could reduce rules and regulations and let them pay more because a lot they spend a lot of money on trying to live with the rules and regulations given to them by the federal government. But we really do have a problem with people just wanting to work. COVID discouraged a lot of people from working. Uh, the president has kept this emergency declaration in effect, which is allowing people to be qualified for Medicaid. <clears throat> And therefore, once they get Medicaid, they get other benefits. And so they can do better sometimes with, with uh, taxpayer welfare than they are doing by working full time. And that's a terrible situation, Don. That's another moral hazard we have created in our country where you can stay at home all day long and draw welfare and not have to go to work and do as well as people who are working. So that is not a good situation. I want to bring up an issue that all the sports fans are interested in because all the athletic directors seem to think that this is going to be an issue that ultimately will have to be decided with the help of Congress. And that's the name, image, and likeness problem, uh, which uh, has uh, caused a very interesting set of problems for all the athletic programs. And uh, the sports fan, of course, is uh, all interested in winning. So <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a bad situation where everybody's trying to keep up with everybody else. Uh, I know that uh, uh, there are no apparent uh, efforts at this point in time to introduce any legislation. What do you see uh, Congress's role in this area that might bring some semblance of, uh, of a solution to this? Well, I'm not sure exactly what our role will wind up being. 
But I do know I met recently with some people from the Southeastern Conference uh, who came to see me. Uh, I was a little surprised that they came in, but they came in to talk about the need to have uniform policies. And although although Congress meddles a lot in what it shouldn't meddle in, not outlined in the Constitution for us to do, uh, often Congress has to get involved with coming up with a nationwide policy as opposed to our having 50 state policies because you do wind up with some kind of interstate commerce issue or you have students covered by one set of policies at one school, they might want to transfer to another school and in another state and the policies would be different. So I think the push would come for Congress to get involved because the policies vary state by state. So I have had one meeting so far with the conference. To We didn't get into any kind of detail whatsoever, uh, but but I was was told that this was one of the issues that they wanted to talk about, the need for uh, consistent national legislation. I'm going to change the subject to go on you and ask for a comment on the Ukraine-Russian situation. Well, um, I I did vote to give money to Ukraine once uh, because I felt like spending a small amount of money in Ukraine was better than our trying to defeat Russia ourselves. Now, the the bill that was passed, it was kind of interesting, Don. It was um, it was a forty billion dollar bill. I think I'm remembering it right, and it was called. Uh, aid to Ukraine. And when I went to vote for that bill, I expected to see a lot of Democrats vote against it because it was money to Ukraine. People like Barbara Lee, who are always opposed to any kind of war funding, voted for that bill. And then I realized it was because almost none of the money was going directly to Ukraine. And so it really wasn't funding mostly Ukraine. And I've gotten a lot of mail about that saying, why would you vote for money to go to Ukraine when we have problems in this country? And I understand that completely. We do have a lot of problems in this country, but very small amount of that money actually went to Ukraine. A lot of it was spent here in this country for um, for our defense establishment. And that's where much of the money and some of it had nothing at all to do with defense or Ukraine. But Nancy Pelosi was very clever in how she named that bill to get support for it. So I have mixed feelings about it. Again, I, I'm troubled, Don. I'm truly troubled by the fact that this is the year 2023 and we are watching something happen that looks eerily sim similar to something that happened in 1939 and 1940 when the world pretended it didn't see what was happening, but we can't hide what is happening. The UN is totally useless in this situation. The UN should be 
We should have never allowed this to happen. So it again exposes the uselessness of the United Nations. And I feel so sorry for the people of Ukraine who are caught up in uh, this attack by uh, Vladimir Putin. You mentioned earlier also that uh, the new speaker had three concerns, the debt, education, and China. How about giving us a comment on that? Okay. Well, I've talked a lot about education, so I won't go too much more into that, except to say I'm very pleased he sees that as a major problem. Um, On the debt, uh, we will be working on that. There's been a lot of discussion about the debt ceiling. Uh, we can't just raise the debt ceiling and keep spending. We're already spending hundred more than 100% of GDP. No country can exist long doing that. So let's talk about China. Uh, for over two years ago, uh, Speaker McCarthy had made a deal with Speaker Pelosi to come up with a bipartisan committee on China. At the last minute when it came time to appoint people, she pulled out. So we had our own China committee for two years. And we we did a lot of studying about what was happening with China and how we were being impacted with it. Now he has appointed a select committee on China that will be doing a lot more delving into the impact of China on our country and coming up with suggestions on what we can do about it. China is our greatest threat, and we have to do something about it. We have to stop being dependent on China. That's another thing that came out of COVID. People found out how dependent we are for minerals, for medicines, for chips, for so many things that make our economy and our country move. So the American people want to stop being dependent on China, and we have to look for ways to do that. Is India our solution in that uh, in that dilemma? Uh, yeah, I think there are lots and lots of solutions in that dilemma. But again, it's going to mean cutting back on the cost of doing business in this country. We increase our rules and regulations all the time. And we have to simply look within our country for the resources that we need. And that means uh, utilizing the resources in our country and not being held hostage by China or any other country for that matter. We've long prided ourselves on being independent of other people, and we've allowed ourselves to lapse into becoming very dependent on other countries. Well, so many issues we didn't get to. I hope that uh, we can arrange another session with you later on. We didn't talk about the Middle East. We didn't talk about energy. Uh, We didn't talk about national security. All of those are important issues that you'll be facing in your role as uh, representing the 5th District of North Carolina. And we certainly appreciate you taking time to be with us today. Well, I thank you, Don, for doing these programs. And as I said, I listen to them as often as I can. Our guest, of course, has been Virginia Fox. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast or the two segments that you might have missed if you were listening to the half-hour version. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. Until next week, have a good week. 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.